We began last week our study of Ecclesiastes, and we noted that the teacher was going to take us on a journey. And this journey was going to examine all of the things that is available in life to be able to try and experience. And uh, we have in our minds the concept that the grass is greener on the other side, and Solomon as a teacher is going to experience it for us. Uh, For us, our difficulty is that uh, we don't have the resources to try it. We don't have the resources to see if things are really better, if we had more wealth, had more possessions, had more things, or were able to do everything that we wanted to do in life. But Solomon was. Solomon had all of those things. He had the resources, and he was able to test the things that could be done on earth and see whether there was satisfaction and fulfillment in those things. And so that's where we then continue our study this morning is in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1. And now what Solomon is going to do is he's going to explain to us his conclusions about futility. Futility, everything is futility. And point out to us and show us why he drew those kinds of conclusions. And so we're going to begin then this morning in chapter 1 and in verse 13 we read uh, the words of Solomon. I applied my mind to seek and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. Now, you and I have probably seen some crazy things in life, but I really have yet to see, as I visualize this wording, somebody running down the street with a big net in their hand, chasing after the wind, trying to grab it. And that's the imagery that Solomon is drawing. Here's what life is like. It's like running down the street with both arms open, thinking that at some point you're going to be able to grasp the wind. That's nonsense. It's craziness. And that's the conclusion that Solomon draws. He says, I put my mind to everything under heaven. Everything under the sun. Remember, we looked at that last week. What Solomon is doing is he's taking... God out of the equation for a moment, and he's just looking at at everything in a human perspective, completely horizontal, and just going to see if I apply myself to everything that is here on this earth, will I find satisfaction? Will I find lasting happiness? Will I find everything that I'm trying to look for in life? And here is his conclusion. You know what? Not only is it futility, it's like chasing the wind. You're going nowhere fast. It's mindless to even consider such a conclusion. And here's one of the reasons why that he says that it's like chasing the wind. That trying to find uh, true value and true meaning uh, in these life pursuits. And notice verse 15. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. What do you mean by that? Basically... Whatever you set your eyes to and set your mind to in this world, it's not going to fix your problems. Anything that you think is going to be that thing that's going to finally make you happy, that's finally going to give you that lasting satisfaction, is going to wipe all those problems away, you're wrong. It's not there. You're not going to find it. And so he makes this this uh, overarching statement here of what's crooked can't be straightened. Uh, you, you try to, to straighten these things, you try to fix these problems in this world and the problems in this life, you're not going to be able to. And so what he's going to do is now show us that 
through these various pursuits. He's going to explain that to us. And so let's go on to verse 16 and notice that he's going to attempt to do this through wisdom. He's going to seek out wisdom and see if he can find some, some great uh, satisfaction and fixes for life through wisdom. Verse 16, I said to myself, look, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who are over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this, too, is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. This is an interesting conclusion that he draws. As he says, all right, you know what? In verse 16, I amassed wisdom far beyond anyone else. We made that point last week that that is one of the reasons why Solomon is qualified to talk to us about that is because he had wisdom like no other. And so he says, I gathered all that wisdom, all that knowledge. And he says in verse 17, I applied my mind to know that wisdom and knowledge. I put it all to use. I put it all together. And you know what I found out? The more I knew, the more sorrow it brought. You know, we have a saying in our society that reflects that. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> That's exactly what Solomon just said here. He just said, you know what? Sometimes having knowledge is very painful. Sometimes knowing is not really the better way to go. And there's a number of reasons I think that's exactly the case. You know, one of the reasons why wisdom is frustrating is because when you have wisdom, you realize that nobody's being wise. <laughs> I think we've experienced that in life. I think we've experienced it. You go, well, I know what it would be best for this person, and they won't do it. How frustrating is that? We will sit there and you sit down with them and go, now this is the best course. This is the thing you ought to do. This would be the most wise, the most helpful. Most people don't do that. <laughs> most people don't choose the wise path. How frustrating is it to know what is the best way to go? And yet nobody does it. Nobody listens. Here is Solomon who has all the wisdom of the world at this point as people come to him for wisdom and knowledge. I wonder how many people heard his words and walked away and didn't do a thing that he said. I bet a lot. <laughs> I bet a lot of them. Any, if that society is anything like today, they heard the wise words of Solomon and went, that guy doesn't know anything. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. And so I think that's one of the frustrations that he's pointing out is, you know, with, with much wisdom, but there comes a lot of sorrow with that. There comes increased grief. And that knowledge, increased knowledge can cause more pain. This is perhaps a silly illustration of that, but uh, I find it truthful for me is that I live a happier life the less I watch the news and read the paper. <coughs> Now, you could call that ignorant and dumb. But I don't know. Not knowing a lot of the crazy things that are going on in this city kind of makes me a little happier in life. Not knowing how depressing everything is in this world and how it's all coming to an end and everything is so awful. Sometimes it's nice not to know that. And I try to just watch just a little bit of world news in the morning just, just to keep me aware of my ground. But I don't want to know all that other stuff. And maybe that's silly, but it's interesting that that kind of comes together. The more you know, the more sorrow and grief come along. The more you can be depressed about what's happening all around us and what's going on around us as well. Uh, I think one of the things that he's really drawing out is that 
in all the acquiring of wisdom and all the acquiring of, uh, of knowledge, even at that, you won't find all the answers. Even in amassing and acquiring great knowledge and great, great wisdom, we can go to school for years and years and years. We can go to college and amass uh, all the degrees that we want to amass upon ourselves. And you're still not going to have all the answers to life. It's kind of a frustration. It doesn't matter. You can just be as smart as you could possibly be and still not have all the answers of what to do in this life, the answers to fix all of the problems, and that's the final point, that great wisdom doesn't even fix life's problems. Uh, great wisdom makes, makes all those problems known, but doesn't tell you how to get it all fixed. You can't fix those things. That's, that's what Solomon is saying. To, who's going to make straight in what's been crooked? You can't fix it. There are so many things in life that cannot be fixed. That's one of the things that I, I find every four years. This is a humorous time. Because every four years we're told that this is the time we're going to fix everything. This is the time that if we get the right person, they'll be able to avert catastrophe. And we'll be able to set the country straight. We heard that four years ago. Anything changed? You heard it four years before that. Anything changed? And you heard it four years before that. Anything changed? And four years before that. Anything changed? It's the same thing. Stick a monkey in there. We'll still have problems. It's just the way it is. This is life. Quit thinking that putting somebody in there is now going to fix the world's problems and everything's going to be so much better. Come on. Come on. You're fooling yourself. Wisdom and knowledge do not fix life's problems. These problems will still remain. There will still be difficulties in this country, in this world, and in our lives Knowledge and wisdom is not the end all. And so this is the conclusion that he draws. And that's why he says there in verse 17, it's chasing after wind. Uh, I'm trying to grasp something and fixing the problems through wisdom. I'm trying to grasp something that cannot be grasped. It cannot happen. And so in chapter 2, he tries something different. And he tries self-indulgences. He tries the pleasures that are available in this world. Chapter 2, verse 1, I said to myself, Go ahead, I will test you with pleasure and enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness. About pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. This is an interesting experiment that, that he draws, and it's very important to carefully understand what he's saying that he attempted to accomplish. As though some people read verse 2, he says, oh, well, laughter's a waste of time. That's not exactly what he's saying. He's talking about the frivolity of life, and he's talking really about merrymaking, about partying. And if you notice the language there as he goes on in verse 1, as he set his body to enjoy wine, that's what he's talking about. He decided, you know what? Let's just live for the weekend. That's our kind of phraseology today. Let's just live to party. Let's just have a good time. Whatever we think to do, that's what we're going to do. And we'll have alcohol and we'll drink and we'll just have a good old time and we'll see how life is with that. I want you to notice a careful little parenthetical that he puts in here, though. And he says, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. He did not go out and become a raving drunk. It doesn't take any wisdom to know that's not going to be any good in life. <laughs> no, he's just experimenting with that, what we would call in today's terms, the nightlife. Oh, let's just try alcohol. Let's try parties. Let's just see 
how that does. We'll, we'll, we'll experiment with all that. Surely there's going to be happiness there. You know what he found? He said it's madness. <laughs> what an interesting conclusion. And he says it accomplishes nothing. It doesn't accomplish anything. What an interesting conclusion that, that he's able to draw here. And I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. All the partying and all the drinking you could possibly think to do in your life isn't going to erase all your problems either. That doesn't fix anything, doesn't change your life circumstances, doesn't take away pain, doesn't do any of that. It's all still there. Another day comes and the pain remains. Another day comes and the problems still sit there. And so he says, what was the point? In fact, he says, the problem with it all is I'm just wasting my life away. By living that kind of life, you're wasting time. In fact, that's what he uses there at the very end of verse 3, during the few days of their lives. They're just, just wasting life. By throwing themselves into that kind of atmosphere, you come out at the end of the day and what have you accomplished? Nothing. You have absolutely nothing of value. Nothing's been done. Nothing's been accomplished. You're no better for it. And he says you're just wasting your life away. High school kids, college kids, listen to the words of Solomon. That life is a waste of life. And the world says, oh, this is the fun life. Oh, you will have so much fun. No, you're, you're wasting, wasting what little time you have on this planet engaging in foolish endeavors or something like that. And Solomon here gives the warning. He says, I applied myself to that. I tried it. I went ahead and tried that whole scene. Guess what? There's no fun there. There's no enjoyment. There's no satisfaction. It just simply wastes life away. So he decided to go for the American way. <laughs> Wealth and women. Let's try that. Verses 4 through 11, he'll explore these areas and see if there's any satisfaction here. Verse 4, he says, I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself in which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all those who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings of provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. Thus I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles when I considered all that I had accomplished and all and what all I'd labored to achieve. I found everything to be futile, a chasing of the wind. There is nothing to be gained under the sun. This is probably what our society tells us is the way to live life. Money and women. And so he says, you know what, I did it. And I want you to key in on those words when he says there in verse 10, all that his eyes desired, he did not deny. I want you to open your minds and understand. Whatever he thought would be pleasurable and fun, he tried it. And he's drawing that conclusion for us when he says, I tried all these things and guess what? Even while doing it, notice that parenthetical, he does it again. My wisdom remained with me. So I just wasn't just going crazy here. I was carefully examining these things and seeing whether life was better 
by going into this kind of thing. So he amasses all of this wealth, amasses silver and gold. Notice the architectural achievements he describes there in verses 4, 5, and 6. All of the things that he built, all of the beautification that he's doing in Jerusalem. He, he has become uh, this guru of sorts of, look at all I can build. Look at all that I can do. And look at all the wealth that I have. And of course we know Solomon was just absolutely renowned for all the women that he had. 1,000 wives and concubines combined. There was a staggering number of women that were in his court. He tried that all. And I think it is interesting in verse 10, he does make the point that he says there was some temporary pleasure there. He says there in verse 10, he says, um, I did not refuse for myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in my struggles. I, I was enjoying my efforts as I continued to amass and accumulate and do more and more. So I, I, so I just continued to try to, to gather these things. And there was some satisfaction there temporarily, a little bit of joy. And I think we all experience that. It's nice to have a little bit of money. Make sure you get a smile on your face, right? You get our, get our refund check. Oh, nice, you know. Money. There's not ignoring that there's not a little bit of happiness there. But verse 11 is very important. There was no lasting happiness. There was no satisfaction from these things whatsoever. And so this is an important conclusion when he says, he looked back at all that he had accomplished. He looked back at all that he had labored at. He saw all these things and he said, that just doesn't bring me any satisfaction either. And we know that. We just often forget that. That as we accumulate more and more wealth, we just continue to want more and more wealth. We never become satisfied. We never stop and become happy and go, oh, now that's all I need. There's always one more thing, one more possession, one more dollar that will finally, we believe, will make us happy. And yet Solomon says, no, no, that's foolishness. Again, we're chasing the wind if we think that this will bring us lasting happiness. He turns back to wisdom in verses 12 through 17. This is interesting. He seems to almost need to make a caveat about wisdom. And so he turns back to wisdom again in verse 12 of chapter 2. Then I turn to consider wisdom, madness and folly. For what will the man be like who comes after the king? He will do what has already been done. And I realize that there is no advantage to wisdom over folly like the advantage of light over darkness. Oh, wait, let me read that again, verse 13. For I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light, of light over darkness. The wise man ha has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one fate comes to, uh, comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to a fool uh, will also happen to me. Why then will I be overly wise? And I said to myself that this is also futile, for just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise man who dies just like the fool? Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for everything is futile in a pursuit of the wind." This is an interesting conclusion because he comes back to wisdom and says, now I don't want you to think that there's absolutely no value to wisdom and knowledge. He's not, he's, I don't want you to think that being a total buffoon and, and completely ignorant is going to do you any good in life. He says, now there is an advantage to having wisdom over folly. And so wisdom is not utterly meaningless or completely useless. 
But he says, here are some things that you, you gain from that. And that's interesting what he says. The, the, the wise have eyes in their head. That, that's kind of an interesting way to say that. It's almost like he's saying, uh, at least they've got something going on up here. Uh, the fool doesn't. A whole book of Proverbs is about that. The wise are able to see and discern and understand that the, the fool does not. He walks in darkness. And he simply makes the point, if nothing else, the wise know where they're going, uh, even if they are know, knowing that they head for trouble. That's kind of an interesting conclusion uh, that, that he draws here. Uh, but there were still some problems to wisdom. And so understand that, yes, wisdom has some, some value. Wisdom has some benefits. But again, notice this conclusion. The same fate happens to both. The wise and the foolish are the same. They both die, neither will be remembered, and so therefore it's all futility again. And so interesting that he makes a point. Now, it's almost like he has to come back and say, now, now don't throw wisdom completely out the door. Uh, there's value there. There's some usefulness in life. It's better to see where you're going than to be completely oblivious and fall into darkness and fall into traps. But realize, you're not going to find your satisfaction there. Realize the same fate to the wise also happens to the fool. Realize that in the end, both are going to die, and neither will be remembered. Now, verse 18, he continues on with one other experiment. And this is probably another good one for 21st century America, as he experiments with being the workaholic. Verse 18, he says, I hated all my work at which I labored under the sun, because I must leave it to a man who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will take over all my work that I have labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I begin to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. For there is a man whose work who was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, but he must give his portion to a man who has not worked for it. This too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a man get with all of his work and all of his efforts that he labors with under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is futile. There is nothing better for a man than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even in this, even this is from God's hand. Let's stop there. And I think this is a very interesting declaration that he makes here. As he says, you know what? I just realized I hated work as well. I hated all that I had done, all that I had accomplished, all of this that I had done in my occupation, all the things that I, these, these accomplishments and, and things that were done in my life. He says these things were futile. Why? Why would all that work be considered futility to him? And he makes a number of observations. He says, one of the horrible things, he says, is all that gain that I had from my work is will be left to another person who has not worked and who could very well be a fool. <laughs> all this wisdom and all this work that he has done, he steps back and realizes, I'm going to be giving it to somebody who hasn't worked as hard as me and could be just as foolish with this money as I have been wise. That I have tried to do all this with my, with my efforts and accumulate this money and who knows how he'll spend it. And he makes a very good reminder that you just can't take these things with you at death. For all of our work and for all of our efforts of accumulation and possessions and wealth, none of it gets to go with us. I am still longing to see the day. It will have to happen at some point. 
where there will be a hearse with a U-Haul on the back of it. Saying, I'm just going to bury all my things in the grave. It's going to have to happen. Somebody will want to do it. You can't take it with you as much as we really want to. And then notice the other observation that he makes. Not only is it left to somebody who didn't work as hard as you, and it's left to somebody who could be completely frivolous and wasted away. He says all of that overworking brings grief and a lack of rest. Did you catch that? He says there in verse 23, when he asked the question in verse 22, what does a man get with all of his work and with all of his efforts? What good is it going to do you? He says there in verse 23, you know what he gets? Days filled with grief, occupation of sorrow, and even at night, his mind doesn't rest. Sound familiar? (laughs) That doesn't sound familiar? Wow. Here he's just describing exactly the common situation of those who overwork. Is that it's not any fun. Life is miserable. It's all about the job. And even when you, quote, stop working on the job, you know what? Your mind keeps spinning. Of all the things that you've got to do. There's so much more that has to be accomplished. There's so many more responsibilities that I have that I can't hardly take it off of work right now because there's so much more that I've got to do. There's so much more work that I've got to accomplish. I can hardly let myself have a vacation because I've got to do so much work. And he steps back and says, this isn't any good because they can't enjoy the fruit of your labor. You're just in constant sorrow. Your mind is always working and not at ease. And so I think this is interesting because he makes some very important Uh, statements of advice and uh, always funny to me so verse 24 is that probably one of the best Old Testament verses taken out of context well there's nothing better to eat drink and be married that's not what he's saying friends he's not saying "All right, cast off the world go get drunk because man this life stinks that's just not what he said right there be careful what he's saying he's talking about overworking he's saying enjoy the earnings of your work Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Don't overwork. Do what is necessary for you to be able to enjoy your life right now. And I think that is what he's really driving at. Life does not consist of work. It's fascinating to me that that is what our society has taught us. Society is telling us that that's all that matters. Work is, work is everything. Work is what's going to make you happy. And yet, if work was going to make me happy, why are they having to pay me to do it? It's not that good. If it was good, I would pay them. That's when we go to Disney World. Nobody pays me to go to Disney World. I pay them. That's fun. Work is not fun. Work is work. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. That's what Solomon is saying. Step back and realize overwork is no fun. Working like that is crazy. You're not going to be able to enjoy anything like that. And it doesn't bring you satisfaction. Our society is terrible today because our society tells men, if you do not work 50 hours or more a week, then what kind of man are you? And men who work 40 hours a week are considered lazy. And we have a society that tells women, if you are not working in a secular job, what are you doing with your life? You have no value either. And that's sick. That is the kind of sick society that we have that says life is all about work. And Solomon says, yeah, I tried it. I I, I went after it. Futility. Chasing the wind. You can't enjoy life if that's your perspective. Life is not about work. Life is not about accumulating things. 
And that kind of work will not bring satisfaction. And so we need to step back and learn from Solomon, work enough. Solomon's not saying, okay, everybody quit. (laughs) We all got bills. Obviously you have to work. But work what is necessary. Work what is required of you so that you can enjoy life. And don't be tied to work as the primary thing in your life. Some important conclusions that he draws, verses 25 and 26. For who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For to the man who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. He makes a very interesting conclusion. It's now for one of the first times he draws God back into the equation after making all of these observations and says, you know what? Life cannot be enjoyed without God. When you take God out of the equation, all of these things become senseless, pointless. There's no satisfaction in all of these pursuits when God has been removed. With God, we can appreciate the fruit of our labor. We can appreciate our lives. We can enjoy the relationships that we have. We can enjoy the blessings that God has given us. We can enjoy all the things that that God has done in this world. But when you take God out of the equation, you know what life becomes? Monotonous and pointless. (laughs) And that's what he just really draws out. When you remove God out of the equation, we just say, all right, let's just ignore God for a minute. Then why are you here? Why are you working? What are you doing? How come you're not happy? (laughs) Because that's all there is to life. is just the here and the now, and there's no enjoyment in the here and the now. There's not lasting satisfaction. There's not great value in the here and the now. It's not here. And I believe that's intended by God. Because if God gave us lasting satisfaction and lasting value now, then who'd want to be with God? We'd all be happy right here. All of this is here as a temporary thing to get our eyes focused on God. With God in the equation, I see these things as temporal. I see these things as necessary. I do the things that I need to do to get by in life, enjoy life. I do my work. I enjoy my labor. I enjoy my family. And one day I'll be with God. It all comes together nicely with God. You take God out of the equation, it becomes frustrating, monotonous, and who wants to be part of it? Outright depressing. And so Solomon says, put God in the equation. And I love the final words there. The task of the wicked is futile. When we take God out of the equation, the work of the sinner, this is not a fun life. If this is all that there is to live in, then go ahead and stop it now. Because this can be a very painful, depressing, upsetting life that we can get filled with pain, with tragedy, with difficulties and hardships. I need God in the equation to know I'm looking forward to something better. I need God in the equation to know everything here is temporary. I've got something else that I'm going toward. And so, friends, stop chasing the wind. And that is the first conclusions that Solomon draws from these first chapters of Ecclesiastes. Stop chasing the wind. Life without God is futility. 
Do not overwork. Do not try to accumulate. Don't think that possessions will give you greater happiness. Don't think more success or more power or better job or better location or bigger house or better cars, more fuel-efficient cars will make us happy. It won't. It just won't. Satisfaction only can be found in God and will not be found in any pursuit. Trust Solomon. He tried it. He said everything that he could set his eyes on, he did not deny himself. Can you imagine having the resources to try that? Anything you ever saw in this grocery store, in Walmart, in anything that you ever thought of in life, you could just have it and do it? Parasailing? Okay. Want to jump? Parachuting? Sure. You could do anything you want to do. He tried it all. No lasting satisfaction. No real value there. He tried it all and found God was the answer. Learn from the wise teachings of Solomon and understand that God is the only place that you will fill the void that each of us have in our lives of looking for answers. It's all in Jesus Christ. Pull your song books out. We're going to sing an invitation song to you. and We invite you to come to Jesus Christ this morning to recognize the futility of this world, to recognize that without God, There is no point. There is no value. There is no lasting satisfaction. With God, this life makes sense. We want you to come to Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from a life of selfishness. Turn away from the vain pursuits. And put God first. Serve Him with all of your heart. And realize that with Him as a priority, this life can become more enjoyable. And we can find satisfaction in the arms of Jesus Christ. Won't you come to him this very morning that you turn away from those sins, confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You can do that now while we stand and while we sing.